We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And this slow burn of an offseason took an unexpected twist yesterday, with Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers in exchange for Colin Sexton, Lori Markinen, three unprotected first-round picks, and two pick swaps. This is something that we've talked about a couple of times on the pod of the Mitchell trade being an important domino within the Lakers offseason. I think there was potential for the Lakers to be involved in a Mitchell deal as a, as a third team. And obviously that's not happening now, although you never know, right? Teams I've seen teams, third and fourth teams get roped into deals. Uh, I don't know if it's official with the league or not. But as of now, Mike Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs for a bit of a haul. I, I actually don't think it's as much as it maybe looks like on paper, but curious to hear your thoughts on the trade. Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit in just the way that these trades are going with how many picks are being given up. And the three unprotecteds to me is a lot. Now that gets mitigated a little bit because this Cleveland team should be pretty good, right? For several years now. And that was going to happen probably with Cleveland before they made this trade and they were able to hold on to their three key pieces, of course. So Mitchell, we've talked about also on the podcast, and he, to me, is the kind of guy that he's not the number one, clearly, but he doesn't have to be going into this situation. And so I like it from a basketball setting where, aside from the small backcourt, and that part I don't like, but the best way to protect a small backcourt is to have a guy like Evan Mobley, um, who's Mm -hmm. a terrific, you know, he's in the mode of an AD Right. I don't think he's quite there. And even when A.D. was that age, I don't think he's quite where A.D. was, but he's he's getting there. And then, of course, Jared Allen, who's been really good for them. They could still use a big wing or two, as could most teams in the league. Uh, Certainly the Lakers still looking for that kind of guy. But I like that for Cleveland. And I think that, you know, while you look at the East guys and there's there's eight really good teams now uh, in the Eastern Conference. And I think that Cleveland, though, has a chance to trend upwards in that group maybe even higher than some people think so you've got milwaukee and boston i think most would agree are one two and then some some people believe in brooklyn some need to see it right once they actually have their guys healthy on the court you've got philly who made some nice moves and then in that next tier kind of like toronto 
Chicago, Atlanta. I think that they they trend. They have a chance to get into that top four as early as next year, even if I don't know if I would pick it because you're going to give some of those bet sure. teams a little bit more of an advantage. And so that that to me makes it worth it for Cleveland to do that kind of deal based on how many picks are going, based on what they think they can pull together when they're when their guys are on these rookie deals or and and, and or are going to be extension eligible and therefore have the, the best chance to keep them there. So ultimately I would do it. Um, I think if I were Cleveland and in Utah's case, you know, we know what they're doing, right? It's assembling a billion picks and this is still unproven as to what that ends up ultimately being. What is OKC done with that just yet? I don't know. It just seems like they just kicked the can down the road another year. Uh, what has Orlando been able to do with that many draft assets? New Orleans is a little different because of all the young players the Lakers gave them that were good, but yeah, overall, I get it. And I know, Darius, I did not talk about impact on the Lakers, uh, which I know we will get to. But that was just my first reaction to it was probably similar to Pete there, where I liked it from Cleveland's standpoint, even if the picks, it's a lot of, of capital. Um, it's, it's capital that I think they end up being able to to take a little bit better because of what the roster makeup is. Yeah, this is an interesting thing because I feel like there aren't a lot of losers in this deal, even the Knicks. Um which we can get to their um, to analysis on on them as well. If there is a loser, it might be the Lakers, actually, but we will get to them in a second. I, I like this deal from the Jazz's perspective. Honestly, they weren't going to bring back Mitchell. Danny Ainge did want unprotected picks, and he now controls the drafts of the Cleveland Cavaliers for the next five years. Basically, he gets three unprotected picks and he gets pick swaps in the seasons after the NBA is a weird place. An injury to a key guy or two and suddenly your season can be torpedoed. And I was reminded when listening to I think it was the Hoop Collective pod yesterday, Brian Windhorst pod, where he reiterated the point that it was the Mo Williams trade where the Cavaliers traded away Mo Williams for a future first round pick. And that pick ended up becoming the number one pick in the draft that they used to select Kyrie Irving. So like the lottery odds are flattened now. There's a lot of different things that can happen. So I'm fine with this from Utah's perspective. I don't know about the player equity that they got. I, like Markkanen's a fine player. <laughs> Utah fans are probably going to love him. <laughs> but it's just like Danny Ainge wanted picks. He got his picks. Like, that's fine. I might have wanted... A different iteration of that Pete, like I probably still would have wanted the Knicks picks, like because yeah. um, if we transition this to the understanding of like what the Cavs got, I love this deal from the Cavs perspective. Garland, who has not only a great first name, he's got a great game and he was someone the Lakers scouts really loved, Mike. And, and so just another point towards the Lakers guys know what they're doing when they're talking about picking out talent. But I love Garland. I love Mobley. Allen's a very good player. And um, I think of that small backcourt thing that you mentioned, Mike, is sort of like, OK, well, what would have happened to the Portland team? And now who knows if either Mitchell or Garland will ever be as good as Damian Lillard. But like what would have happened if the Portland team got a player who was projected to be like, I don't know, 85 or 90 percent of Anthony Davis? Right. Like that. That's an interesting that's an interesting proposition. Now, I don't know if any of those guys will hit that ceiling, but it's it's like, oh, damn, 
That is the yeah. That is the right comp though. Yeah, in terms of the the types of player that Garland and Mitch and Mitchell are, you know, I think go to that Lillard McCollum group for sure. Yeah, and so it's just an interesting thing that the Cavs are building here. They can play big, they can play small, um, and I they are missing a wing or two, but it's like they've got a dynamite scoring backcourt and a high level defensive front court. And those are ingredients that are going to win you a lot of NBA games night to night. I really don't see losers here. I think Danny Ainge is a loser. Well, if, sure. Uh, like, I mean, but that's historically. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I think, I think, <laughs> I think Danny Ainge is a loser in this deal too. Honestly. So you're talking about trading Donovan Mitchell. I want to get at least one, prime asset back right like or something that i can very feasibly picture the median outcome being like that's going to be a top five pick that's going to be a even a top 10 pick but to me you've got two guys who are good players in sexton and markinen and three picks with the possibility of two more with swaps and like you said d you never know what can happen over the course of time but all four of cleveland's best players are under 25 this is a team that projects over the next the next five years where those picks going to be probably around the, the 20th pick. And that's fine. It is an asset, but it's like how much of one. And if I'm trading an all-star guard, Mike, a guy that, you know, has, has definitely a market around the league. I would rather have one really good thing come back and have everything else be, you know, salary cap filler or whatever needs to make the deal get done than have five kind of middling assets. I think that the way the, the NBA turns, like having those, those prime ones is a lot more important. Well, so Pete, the thing that cracked me up was that wasn't Ainge kind of the guy that you and your dad and everybody hated the most in the 80s? Oh, yeah. He was the okay. guy. He was the villain number one just because he was – I mean, and Darius can speak to this too, but he was just the worst. Like there's a reason There's a reason Robert Ory did what he did. Let me just say that. And then, you know, I, I just think of the Pat Riley quote, right, from even just from a – what has it been? That's been like 10 years now. But yeah, yeah you can you – can, the press, the official Heat press release – that uh, that King Pat Riley put out. <laughs> oh man! So Google Pat Riley. That's Google right. that if you don't know what we're talking <laughs> uh, about. Google Pat Riley, Dan Nieves yeah. press release, and start your holiday weekend well. Exactly. So this this might be the guy we're negotiating with. So maybe I shouldn't call him but, a loser too much. Well, right? But I, yeah. so I don't I don't think I think he's doing exactly what he wanted to do uh, when he got there. Which oh, is, of course, I'm just saying he so, didn't get any just like, yeah, he didn't. Well, get, but I don't think he wanted to, though. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think he wanted to. For example, R.J. Barrett, I'm sure that was part of the discussion. And, and I know that Darius is familiar with a lot of the reporting on that because he's been hitting us in the text thread about it. But they want to have a primo lottery pick next year. And I think also in two years and mm-hmm. what he turned. So. New Orleans turning Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday into all the picks that they did and all of the young players that they did, that haul, relative to what Utah is getting now for two players that I think are inferior um, as, a, as a tandem, mm-hmm. right, in terms of Gobert and Mitchell, to turn that into what's the total end up being? Because in, in Minnesota, you basically get five first-round picks if you include mm-hmm. Walker Kessler. And then this year, the player that nobody's talking about because nobody can pronounce his name, the kid out of Kansas, uh, who is a, a first round pick as well, plus the three firsts. So that amount, that, that just sheer stack of firsts for Mitchell and Gobert, who weren't working together, who didn't want to play together. Mitchell was eventually going to leave anyway. You know, 
like that to me is makes sense. And the fact that you don't yet have that marquee type of young guy is a little bit what Houston decided not to do also when they made the trade for Harden, where they got assets, but they didn't, they said, no, we don't want Jared Allen. No, like we want to be bad and we want to have as many swings at, at, at these young potential future stars. And we'll see is Jalen green going to be that guy, you know, uh, is Javari Smith going to be that guy? Like those are basically the guys that they traded for when they got rid of Harden. So mm-hmm. right now it's like, well, you don't, you didn't get one of these marquee young guys back. And, and I think Angel's sitting there and said, well, we'll see in a couple of years. And he also extends his run where they have zero expectations for how many years, which is That's what a, a lot of GMs it? do too. Yeah, and they had a great gig for a GM to be like, oh, yeah, yep. we're going to be bad on purpose for several years. And then on the hopes that down the line, we do get yeah. that and really good player. But the way that media respond to these kind of trades now, though, it, we, it's almost like, oh, standing O for, it's, for tearing it's your ridiculous. team down. And so, I, I, so the fans then don't this. penalize. No, I, I get it, Pete, but like the fans even I don't think totally. are that mad in Utah because yeah. they're like, oh, I see the grand vision. And when does that Ugh. check come to get cash? Where I would push back some against what you're saying, Pete, in terms of a prime asset, unprotected picks five and seven years from now, even for a team that projects to be good, those are going to have value. They just are. Because I mean, to some extent, though, but they're five to seven years down the line. I'm just no one thought the Lakers picks that they traded for Anthony Davis were going to have much value two years out. And they just gave up a top basically. One of those picks was a top 10 pick. It just happened. That team was supposed to be winning the championship or in contention to winning the championship every single season. So I understand the pushback that you're providing. Cleveland projects to be exactly what you're talking about. And that's why I said at the very beginning, I love this deal for them. I do. But the picks that the Jazz did get are picks that extend beyond the contract length of Donovan Mitchell. As well. And so one major injury, you're not going to whether it never happens, but also can change that. that I'm just saying the right. league's a fickle place. And the idea that things can turn, as Phil Jackson would say, like everything can turn on a trifle. It just can. And betting on uncertainty isn't my cup of tea as a GM. I would prefer to have the things that I believe in more. Right. Which are and, and have more tangible value. I just and so I'm not pushing back like, oh, no, you're totally wrong, because I definitely see where you're coming from. And if some of the reporting that came out in the, the aftermath of this, that at the very beginning of the negotiations, the Knicks had R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson and three unprotected picks of their own in a deal. And Danny Ainge turned that down in order to continue negotiations, in order to bleed the Knicks more. And the Knicks offers basically just kept getting worse and worse and worse because they continued to then, okay, well, you don't want Mitchell Robinson? We'll extend him. Oh, you don't want R.J. Barrett? Then we'll extend him. So that's why I said I thought the Jazz did well. Could they have done better? They could have done better. And that's why I see your perspective of like, well, Danny Ainge probably lost some in this. But in the big picture as well, I think what Mike's saying is also true. Danny Ainge got exactly what he wanted. He wanted unprotected picks. He wanted some payroll flexibility. And he got most of that. And if there's something to be done with the Lakers moving forward, which I think is a good place to transition to soon, he might get even more. Because there is still stuff on the table for Danny Ainge to continue his tear down. This team is not down to the studs yet. 
there's still some demo to to be done in this renovation. And and, you know, Ainge, he's going to continue to tear down because he's Danny Ainge and that's just what he does. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk how this deal impacts the Lakers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So this puts the Lakers in an interesting spot. This offseason has been a bit of a game of musical chairs where one thing was like what the next deal was going to be was dependent on what happened with Kevin Durant and then what happened with Kyrie Irving and then with Donovan Mitchell and a lot of uh, a lot of individual player signings. And then a lot of other deals have been kind of contingent on what happened the step before. And so, Mike, this was the domino, I think, that the last major domino of the offseason to fall before I think the Lakers are kind of like, what do the Lakers do is really in the center of that. And there is a possibility we could have been involved in, in this Mitchell trade and that didn't end up working that way. So my question for you is, now what? Well, it definitely takes one avenue off of the table. And I think that there were some real viable ways to make something work uh, in that being a third team in a deal uh, like the one that was reported or some of the discussions, right, that were reported with the Knicks and the Jazz specifically. So I still think that there are a couple of options and a couple of teams that have players that could be a fit, but you just keep getting back to that same stopping point, which is the one first round pick versus the two first round picks. And you can't do one and a half, right? Where the types of players that you might be able to get back are probably not worth two are worth one, but neither team is as motivated to do, uh, to do the, the version of it that they don't want to. So to me, I think that I guess to summarize it, Darius, this makes it, less likely than it was before the deal happened um, that the Lakers are able to make a move, but it doesn't mean that they won't. And it doesn't mean that they will. It's a, that's, that's all in the eye of the, uh, of the beholder, which in this case would be, you know, Rob Palenka, his staff uh, and ownership. So 
uh, and of course those of the other teams. But I, I do think that this makes it a bit less likely that they're able to do a, a deal before the season starts. Yeah, the Lakers were. Both of y'all have seen the movie Back to the Future, right? Of course, back in the day, and for so, sure. Yeah, yes, and so you you know at the very beginning when. Um, when Marty McFly is sort of skateboarding around town, he is like grabbing onto the backs of cars in order to like get from one place to another while he's on his skateboard. Right. And so instead of like pushing along his skateboard himself, he is sort of like holding on to these other cars in order to gain momentum. And I feel like that's sort of what the Lakers were doing in these trade negotiations is they were latching onto the bumpers of the Brooklyn Nets and of these other teams who were potentially going to make a trade. And it's like, okay, well, here's here's an opportunity for us to like sort of like draft in the wake of of well, of this deal and get some things that that we want. And it's like, okay, well, the net situation is resolved for now. And there will be no deal there. And so, okay, well, now there's this Donovan Mitchell deal. So, okay, well, there's another bumper. I'm gonna grab onto that bumper and I'm gonna coast along a little bit. And I'm going to look for a potential in 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 order to make something happen. And now that avenue is closed as well. And so I think you're right, Mike, that the likelihood now of a one to one deal and it is more complicated from the Lakers perspective, just because I do think that the best way for the Lakers to extract value for those two first round picks that we've been talking a bunch about is for them to be able to recoup assets from multiple teams because it's going to be very difficult. I think for the Lakers in a one-to-one deal for them to get the level of talent back from one team that is going to satisfy them while also limiting their exposure and taking things back that they do not want that the other team would want to tack on in order to like, that's just, the math of the deal, right, Pete? And mm-hmm. it's very hard to construct a deal that way. And that's why a three-team deal always seemed to make more sense, even if three-team deals are exponentially harder to execute in order to get everyone on the same page. And so I agree with Mike in that there are still avenues to make a deal. But now in these one-on-one negotiations, it's it is going to be a, well, I want this. It's just like, okay, well then give me that. And it's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. And like Mike said, it'd be great if we could trade, you know, 1.5 picks, but that's just not how it works. And so that real estate between that one future first and two, I think one of the places, and this is one of the places we could have been helpful in a three-team deal is absorbing absorbing contracts that the trading team uh, you know that they don't want that there maybe guys that are a little bit overpaid that to me is the one place where we could come back with a decent deal while only giving up one future first is if we take back a little bit of bad money and so i agree with with uh with you guys that it's a little bit less likely now that we're that the Mitchell domino has fallen and we're not a part of it. But I do think that if we are going to get the version of the deal with one pick done, and it's funny from looking at the teams and the names on the board, I'm totally fine with trading both picks in a like theoretical sense. But when you, once you start putting specific names, I definitely have a line in these negotiations where I'm like, yeah, I'd rather just 
not make a trade at all than trade both picks for those guys coming back. You know what I mean? And so in talking about that line of where do you make that deal, that's what the front office is negotiating too, Mike, is, you know, at what caliber of player do we decide? Like, yeah, we'll give up both picks. And if not, can we make a version of it work with just one going out? Well, it's a head versus heart thing for me. And it's been like that for a while now where in my heart going into next season, I'd I'd love to see a certain type of roster, right? Basically the best one that you could get to, even if it involves both picks, but then my head catches me um, every time I look at the players that could potentially be coming back. And I haven't, I just haven't seen, I haven't seen something uh, that has persuaded me to think that that's the best the best deal for the franchise, right? For the long term, which is where the, the logic part comes in. But I think that a lot could still happen. And now that the like now that this Mitchell thing is off the board, it's got me back thinking, are there other players out there uh, and whether they're stars or sort of secondary type players that have that are not being discussed that have a chance to go to a team? Because there are a lot of teams right now that I think could could consider themselves close to being a title contender. And usually when the season starts, there's a couple teams that end up falling outside of that mix and then maybe one or two that jump into it and that can create movement on, on its own. And so the, the, the reason I bring that up is that if, if you're thinking that as Darius laid out, the three team type of a deal might be the best construct, then, you know, those are the types of things that I think you you keep trying to, to get in on as the season goes on. And hopefully it doesn't have to be until the trade deadline that, you know, something like that happens, but in, you know, trade big trades don't usually happen early in the season, right? Right. But I'm just wondering, Pete, if if that I don't know if anything changes where the one to one the one to one ratio becomes so neat, other than that as the season goes on, the money, you know, for example, like on Russ's deal, right, right. becomes lesser. And so that that clearly enables a one to one team a little bit more. But I'm still I'm still wondering if the if the ideal type piece could come in some sort of a three team construct that just isn't even being thought of. And maybe what I'm trying to do is just make Darius, uh, you know, spend half of his life in the trade machine. Um, for, <laughs> oh, he was going to do that anyway. Us. At this time, he's doing that anyway. <laughs> I, the, the other practical matter that I think plays into this, though, that makes it harder during the season is I think it's harder to trade $47 million during the season. There are a couple of teams right now that could absorb a lot of Russ's contract and do a deal where we only get, you know, $30 million back and they've got $47 million coming in, in Russ that wouldn't be possible during the regular season when teams have to have just, you know, hit a certain threat. And so, D, that's something that in terms of the practicality of moving Russ, like there may be more willingness, but I think it's going to be harder during the season. Pete, and I'll kick this right back to you, but it's also true in terms of roster size. During the season, you can't be over 15 players at all. Yep. Whereas right now going into training camps, you can have up to 20. 20. And And that's where Utah's at right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's how the Jazz were able to facilitate this deal is they've got, I think, 16 17 18 guaranteed contracts guaranteed on their roster right now and so they are going to have to make cuts which or they are going to have to make a three to two or two to one or Mm -hmm. five to two sort of trade right where they are sending out multiple players in order to only take one or two players back which if you're looking for avenues for the Lakers potentially in discussions, look at teams like that. 
Go around the league, look at rosters, see how many contracts are guaranteed and what teams are going to have to maneuver in order to get out from underneath players. And these are all variables that are part of the equation when you're trying to find a dance partner in in a deal like this. And so the reporting around potential trade partners with the Lakers has been out there forever and ever and ever. You get the same two or three or four teams that are named constantly. And so we don't even need to like dive into specifics around any of that. For me, it's just more about, and I, I'd love to get your guys' perspective on this because it builds on this idea of things being harder once the season starts to make a deal, is that there's been this logic or this reasoning put, put out by several people like, hey, well, you know, once you get into the season, teams can start to be like, oh, well, it's not going so well for us or it might be time to shake things up on our side or as time goes by like mike was saying taking on a lot of money is more amenable now rather than having to take on this whole thing and pay out the entire boatload of salary that's owed one or two players so i'm just going to ask you guys point blank how comfortable are you in that environment where you actually are waiting for things to sort of click into place a little bit with other teams in order to open up an avenue that doesn't seem open yet. Like, do you feel okay? Like, oh, well, yeah, something will come up because that inherently makes me nervous. It makes me nervous that, oh, I have to depend on something going wrong somewhere else for me to get the thing that I want. In a lot of ways, we've been in that position since the beginning of this summer. You were talking about drafting off of, uh, you know, cars and the Marty McFly. Like we've been dependent on somebody else to be driving how all of these discussions are going, kind of waiting our turn for other dominoes to fall. Now, I think this is the first time where there isn't something that needs to happen first to determine kind of where we're going to go or what what's going to happen from there. But continually being in that position, Mike, of like something else is going to happen somewhere. I like I think that that can be harmful from a perspective of at some point you have got to turn your attention to this is the team we have going into the season. This is the team that we're going to focus on because, like you said, we're not there's not a lot of trades in that early part of the season. You'll see a couple like one or two some years in December or January. But most of the time, this is your squad until February, especially when you're talking about moving forty seven million dollars worth of contract. Well, just look at NBA history. It's far from ideal to go into a season and not have your roster ready to roll. And maybe you add something to it at a certain point, but. Most times, just look at all of the teams that have won championships. Certainly the star players, like certainly the best players in the team are set up and they may have been there for a year or two before to have built up that chemistry. And then many of the role players may have been there. The coach has likely been there. You certainly have a couple of first time coaches that came in and had success, you know, like Steve Kerr in recent history, um, even Frank Vogel. But more often than not, there's there's some level of stability there. So, yeah, that. There's no denying, Darius, I guess the shorter answer to the question is that this is not the ideal circumstance for the Lakers to be going into this year. Not sure what, how much they trust the roster and trying to figure out what types of moves can be made uh, to maximize it. And yet still having enough 
And and enough almost starts with, you know, LeBron and AD. And then I think getting Beverly for, you know, while giving up an asset in THG, but for a team that seemed most interested in just getting picks, right? The fact that they did want um, to get a player like THG and enable you to get a player like Beverly that fit, I do think that's a win. But yeah, that that uncertainty is far from ideal when you're trying to figure out and, and map a NBA regular season leading into a postseason. So I'm going to pose another hypothetical to you guys. So now that the Lakers are sort of in the driver's seat for and controlling their own destiny to a certain extent, Pete, you mentioned it earlier around this idea of, okay, well, they have these two picks and the reporting around certain players who may or may not be available and and what those two picks could get you. Um, there's a line in the sand. And so the other thing about negotiating is that there's a certain idea that I've had in my mind, and you sort of alluded to this the other day during a pod where you said, if I'm the other team in the negotiations, I'm thinking like this. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're taking the firm position as the team who is being approached, right? Like, no, no, no. Oh, like you think you're going to get something from me? No, 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 no. I'm going to get something from you. And that's very much Danny Ainge. Yeah. Sure. But what's to, do you think that the Lakers could put themselves back in the real driver's seat by basically sort of saying like, look, I've got these two unprotected picks. You all think these are going to be valuable. And guess what? They, may, they might very well be. LeBron is going into his 20th season and you all want to bet on our downfall in 2027 and 2029. Okay, good. Here, you can have them take them. You think we're going to suck? That's very well a possibility. Great. Bet on our demise. I'm holding these picks as an auction. Who wants them? You want them? Indiana? Utah? Charlotte? Like New York, do you want to continue to stockpile assets in order to make a trade for some superstar guy? Who knows? I'm just saying... I'm interested in whether or not the Lakers can flip the negotiations in in a way where they become the aggressor, where they are the ones saying, like, we've got the thing that you want, actually. Mm -hmm. Right. You think I'm coming to you because you've got something that I want. You act like I want your role players. No, 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 no. You want my first round picks, the unprotected ones, the gold. Right. Right. And so like now maybe that's just me being a homer and, and, and trying to flip things. But I'm wondering, is there do either of you see any logic in that perspective of now that the Lakers are the sort of last team standing without a deal being made yet? And they are sort of back in the center of the frame and no longer drafting off of other teams abilities to make a move. Is there a way for them to regain leverage or is it going to be this again sort of like walking around with their hands out like, oh, please give me this other thing, because I think it's important to try to get the leverage. I, I think the best way to do that is to be as good as possible, right, is to put together a competent team is what we were talking about the other day. The level of catastrophe that last season was is costing us in draft capital this season, right? Like the degree to which we were bad, we didn't have to be that bad. We didn't have to be close to that bad. We did a lot of things that contributed to our demise. And the reason I think that that cost ends up costing in draft capital is we're going in with an expiring contract and with the premise like, oh, we have to, you have to give us a pick to take on this expiring contract as well. And part of that is 
that whole what are you going to go back to camp with with Westbrook? Are you going to try to run it back with this group? It's that's where the some of the leverage comes in, and it's based on well, we just saw you guys just completely crap the bed with this same group. And so we're going to lean on you for that. And so the best way that you can flip that around is both the time that Mike was talking about, that idea that there are going to be some teams that may have these high hopes coming into the season, but as the season progresses, different things happen. Either they're not as good as they thought they were going to be, or there are injuries, whatever happens, that they realize that they're not that. And then they become more in in a different mindset in terms of their approach to the roster, of which a $47 million expiring contract might be very helpful. The deals that we did see last year were very much built on financial relief. It was Powell and Covington going to the Clippers in exchange for an expiring contract, in exchange for getting off of money. And so that's something that maybe that that's what that looks like at the deadline. But a combination of that and actually being a decent basketball team is the best way to flip that, I think. Agree with Pete. Let me bring soccer into this for a second, because you guys know that I'm a, a longtime Manchester United fan, which was bliss for many years. The last, you know, five to ten have not been as easy as the rest of the English Premier League has caught up a and, and basically, you know, oil countries have come in and, and sort of unlimited funded certain teams. But we still have a lot of money. And so Manchester United starts out this season as bad as you can. Two losses, but the second one was by like a million goals and they weren't trying. It was it was awful. So what do they do? Well, on the one hand, they bench their vets, a couple of key players, bring in some young, uh, some young athleticism and talent. Um, that's one thing. And then spent 180 million pounds on two players, two Brazilians, um, Casemiro, and then this young kid named Anthony from different clubs. Because there's no salary cap there. Uh, it, they're, so they're just like, you know what? But guess what those other teams did? The offer for uh, this, this young kid, I mentioned the Brazilian, Anthony, it started out at 60 million uh, pounds. Pretty soon they were at 100 because they just kept coming back like, well, you you guys are desperate. And, and we're like, mm. yeah, we are. Here's another 10, uh, 10 million pounds. Yep. Here's another 10 million. Here's another 10 million. And <laughs> and so that's the you're you're essentially negotiating from that standpoint if you're the Lakers in a lot of ways, except that there is the, the cap. So other teams aren't just going to be like, yeah, here's the solution to what you what the situation you guys you guys put yourself in. Um, and and I don't know if that changes unless, as Pete said, the team starts out the season pretty well and is getting wins and there isn't a ton of drama. And there isn't a ton of pain and there isn't there aren't awkward press conferences. And now the chances that that happen, I don't know, man. I, I can't wait to see what Anthony Davis looks like. I know what LeBron looks like because I've been watching those workouts. Right. We always know what LeBron's going to come in looking like. So there's the, that's the question mark. But the the best chance that the Lakers have is that Darvin Ham comes in and, it, and it's this new spirit and they take on Beverly's defensive identity to an extent. Right. And and AD's like, no, stop putting me outside of your top 10 list. And so uh, and Westbrook finds some way right to fit into the at this point. That's the that's the thing that can happen. And then those two picks, Darius, that's when those th- those maybe are like, oh, yeah, well, you can have this one, but you got to give us an actual player for it. We're not just giving it to you because we're desperate. Yeah, I think defying expectations is certainly the most viable path. And in some ways, the Lakers have the lowest expectations in the league for a team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis on it. And I think that's an interesting position for them to be in. Mm -hmm. Like, no one thinks they're going to be any good at all. They don't. 
And to a certain extent, I get it. I get it. Hey, LeBron, you're in your 20th season. Hey, AD, it's been like literally two years. It's been two seasons playing at a level either below the level you expect from him or not being on the court at all. And turning that narrative on its head may, just like you guys said, be the best way for them to turn negotiations on their head. And the only way to make it seem viable that they actually want the team that they currently have is for them to play like a team that they currently want to keep. Yep. And it's... It seems like that's the path forward. And I'm interested to see if they can do that because that's really one of the few hands that they have left. And that's where we stand going into this weekend. We'll see if anything transpires on the Lakers end now that some of those dominoes have dropped. Uh, We will be back next week. Probably no pod on Monday, but uh, probably back on Tuesday. But until then, even this in the Laker Film Room podcast, we'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 